Hi there, bullshitters. Time for another podcast. Uh, we've been touring Scotland and the northeast of England, uh, chatting with farmers, giving presentations, etc. One thing that keeps cropping up is nitrogen, whether in organic forms or inorganic forms. So we thought we'd do a little bit of a natter about nitrogen on our drive home. We've got plenty of time. Make yourself comfortable. Get yourself a nice cup of bovril and your slippers and settle down for a nice podcast. Hello, we're near Chesterfield. We've got a long journey home. We've been all the way up to the Scottish borders, over to the northeast coast, uh, then down to Yorkshire, and now we're going home. So, uh, yeah. Strap in. Yeah, strap in or strap on. Whatever in. makes you feel most comfortable and at home. Hopefully strapping in. So, Andrew, yes. you were talking about um, organic manures, organic nitrogen, and the nutrient potential of muck. Yep. So it's a resource, it's not a waste. Correct. So without repeating the presentations that you've just been given... Do you want to give us a bit of a, an overview, what your thoughts are? Yeah, okay. So, um, I spent yesterday talking to a group of Fibble, which is farming in protected landscape farmers. So, uh, they fall within the catchment of what is considered a protective landscape uh, up in the northeast. And they were interested in reusing, recycling, repurposing. Um, any organic matter, organic nutrients um, that they produce on their own farms and how best they can recycle them um, to ultimately reduce the inputs needed on farm but also to help build soil health. Uh, You could argue sequester carbon and I would be one that argued against that statement Um, but generally improve on farm productivity, profitability and efficiencies. So yeah, in a nutshell. So I, I ducked out your presentation um, just for my own sanity. Yeah. No, actually I had a, a, an online meeting with some Dutch people. But um, so I wasn't really there for much of it. Were me- most of the farmers, they beef, beef and sheep, dairy. What, what would you say that the... Predominantly beef and arable. Beef and arable. Beef and arable. There's a couple, couple sheep farmers. Um, I don't know that there was any dairy. There was a couple of, of pure arable farmers that yeah. were doing a straw for muck deal. Oh, uh, what, swapping? So, so they've they, got they straw. They sell straw yeah. and then, uh, well, not sell straw, but the straw goes out and then it comes back with a load of uh, animal manure in it. Okay, cool. So, yeah, a mix, mix of farmers and a couple of agronomists and environmental advisors. So a real, real mix of people different sort of levels of technical understanding uh, yeah just a nice mix cool and what did you tell them if you could if you could spare our listeners the hours of turgid prose and actually sum it up in a net well, the, nutshell the, the, the one slide and and you know I'm, I'm all about recycling nutrients reusing nutrients and preserving nutrients preserving nutrients definitely but the, the one slide that I I'm most proud of if you will and most pleased with and that always gets a 
a few chuckles and a bit of a laugh and, and it resonates well is when I ask farmers to think of their own farm. And that makes you laugh. Think of their own farm and think of their best field. Yeah. Every farm has a best field. It, does. it might not necessarily be the best yielding. You know, how they measure what they consider their best field can change from farmer to farmer. One, it might be one that never waterlogs, that yeah. always does okay, always yields the best. Um, Feels nice to walk just, over. Yeah, yeah. For whatever metric they have, they will all have a best field. And you can see them, right, okay, yeah, I've got that in my mind, I can picture yeah. my best field. And the next point is, I bet that field is the best field because historically it's had the most farmyard manure, the most organic manure applied onto it. Yep, uh, yep, that makes sense. And I'd go one step further and say that it's almost always the field closest to the farm sheds, the farm stead, the farm yeah, house, yeah. the farm the farm buildings. You're saying farmers are lazy. I'm not saying farmers are lazy, <laughs> not at all. But I'm saying that every farm sort of collection of farm buildings every farm traditionally used to be a, a mixed farm in, in the UK in particular it was a mixed farm and animal manures would be applied during the winter months because they never used to store them they would be applied during the winter months in the closest field it would be a field that's almost sacrificed um, during the winter months to apply organic manures they'd make a mess they'd drive over it it would be you know a bit mingier yeah. in the winter months but that historical those historical applications of organic manure have meant that that field even now you know one guy yesterday in the audience said that he's got a best field and the best field that he's got on his farm hadn't had any organic manure applied for 30 years and okay. it's still the best field now so it's a residual effect so it's obviously the years beforehand have put it in good stead up to this point now. Yeah, and it's still being felt. So, when people talk about organic manures, and this is farmers in general, they're used to applying a product today on their farm, using a product, whether they feed it to cows or put it on to grow crops. Yeah. They're used to getting a response almost instantly. Yeah. You apply fertilizer, you expect to see a response in the next week that oh yeah it's picked up it's growing on it's greened up you know yeah. whatever it might be if there's a disease that disease is gone yeah if it's dairy farmers you're expecting to see it in the milk tank a couple of days later so farmers are used to a quick response yeah whereas with organic manures and improving the soil you're not going to see that immediate response you're playing the long game it's a long game you've got to think three four five years ahead and that's when you'll start realizing and noticing the benefits of the organic manure applied. So that's my favorite slide. People always recognize that their own farm, their best field, historically it's had the most organic manure applied um, and it's still the best field today. Cool. So we talk, the podcast is about nitrogen. Yeah. So I know, just, just, just get out of the way now. Um, when I think of it, you're putting loads of organic manure like muck on that's going to affect your p and your k indices isn't it yeah so it's it's not all about nitrogen that is the major benefit of muck you've got carbon you're putting on there um you know so you're feeding the soil you're building your organic matter there's p there's p and there's k in there yeah 
So I, I it's all yeah, round a good thing to the do. Nutrients provided by organic manures are probably at the bottom of the list of benefits. Okay. So yes, applying organic manures onto or into your soil means you have more nutrients. Yeah. Full stop. You know, that is the case, definitely. Yeah. Um, and the more organic matter that you apply and the more organic matter you have in the soil, the more nutrients you have. Yeah. But nutrients on their own, as we know, you know, P, K can become and is quite immobile within the soils, or P in particular. Yeah. Very immobile within the soils. So actually accessing it is the important part. So what, historically, so we're saying that this is a fantastic resource, it's not a waste product, what has been done with it is like through history, like, you know, not going back to the bloody Egyptians or anything, but sort of say just just pre-war through the, through to today. I would, and I argue when I give my presentation that the first farmer, the first person that domesticated cows realised the benefits of organic manures. How? Because wherever the cow decided to go for a shit, yeah. a month later, that grass would have grown twice as much as the grass surrounding it. It would be darker in colour. Yeah. Um, people would have realised that organic manures, cow shit, has um, a nutrient value and is, can be used as a fertiliser. So I'm sure the first person that had a cow realised this and thought, right, I'm going to bring that cow shit in, I'm going to put it in my cabbage patch or grow my purple sprouting broccoli or <laughs> zucchini yeah. or whatever you want to grow. That's exactly what the uh, cavemen were growing. They were growing purple sprouting broccoli. They were. Um, so they would have utilised it. Heritage carrots. Heritage carrots. And, yeah. 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 They wouldn't have been growing cauliflower. Is that just you speculating or scientific evidence? I'm guessing my speculation that cauliflower probably wasn't a preference purely because they weren't probably able to make cauliflower cheese at the time and that's the only way in which cauliflower tastes good they they had a cow so they could make cheese true or cauliflower milk or something yeah so you're just expressing your your personal dispreference for cauliflower yeah cauliflower cheese yes cauliflower no and I Um, think we've strayed so typically on farm in the UK farmers would if they if they didn't apply organic manures as soon as they were produced so my granddad would scrape out the cubicles straight into they'd be scraped out twice a day they'd be scraped straight into a dung spreader and applied straight onto the field fresh fresh yeah the same day and so what was is that because they had no regulation saying about when they could apply or pretty much Okay. Pretty much, there were there was very minimal regulations in that respect. Now, obviously, moving forward, we've got MBZs. Um, people are wanting to utilise the manures a little bit more through the growing season, so they're looking at storing it for longer periods of time and utilising it more efficiently. Um, so it has changed, but I think the real post World War Two organic manures lost their allure, if you will, because of the availability of cheap ammonium nitrate. So granular, inorganic. Granular, inorganic, synthetic fertilisers became readily available and they were cheap. And And let's be honest, after the Second World War, everybody was hungry and it was all about producing as much produce as you can, driving yields, and nitrogen did that. Yeah. So I I remember we, um, 
speaking to a, a very old farmer up in Lincolnshire, and he said that after the war, like MAFF, MAF, the Ministry of Food and Fisheries, actually had people coming onto his farm and saying, yeah, your, your pig muck, there's, there's not enough nitrogen in it, you know, or you need to start moving onto... And so the actual government advice at the time was moving people away from organic um, nutrients to inorganic. Yes. So what was in it for the government? Well, the, for the government, they wanted to produce food. You know, so we, just we were, the push to... We were a hungry population. You know, yeah. We'd been in rations for a long time during the war. Yeah. And the government, post-World War II just wanted to produce as much food self-sufficiency you know let's let's grow loads and loads and loads of food yeah. and then obviously you had a bit of a baby boom after the war as well <laughs> so you got even more mouths to feed was that um, directly after the Americans left <laughs> <laughs> sorry Americans you know what we mean though um, so the, the, the incentive for the government to suggest that was purely to produce food yeah. you know and uh, they did what was right at the time yeah and then we just got caught on the, suckered into the ammonium nitrate or synthetic fertiliser um, sort of snowball effect. Uh, got hooked on the stuff and we haven't really looked back. Our farming systems, our farming processes haven't changed since the sort of Second World War um, until the word regenerative really caught on and, and that's why we started the podcast. Yeah. So because of Second World War, we're doing this podcast today. Yeah. My granddad would be proud. Yeah. So let's take a little dip into uh, inorganic nitrogen. So organic nitrogen has got all the right stuff. You're building soil health. You're, you know, it's sort of like the long game. You're very much playing it so that you're, you're thinking about the future of your farm. In my opinion, um, people will question it, I'm sure. But when you use an inorganic nitrogen, you're actually bypassing, you're feeding the plant directly. The plant therefore doesn't have to produce uh, root exudates to form the microbiology. The microbiology is sort of like a, just a, a neighbor. It's no longer yeah. a, a partner, it's a neighbor. And so you're sort of like breaking that cycle. You're breaking the whole dynamic of the, the, the soil plant root cycle. So it's, it's almost the complete opposite to a, an organic nutrient or nitrogen so yeah um, one's feeding the soil one's feeding the plant exactly so what how is it that we got so enamored with feeding the plant rather than soil because that makes the soil just basically something to grow the plants in what why yeah. did we why did well, we was, lose track what it was it was well, capitalism was one of the reasons why so like i said Post-World War II, we were hungry. It was yeah. all about yield. Yield, yield, yield. We needed more food, yeah. loads and loads of food. Um, nitrogen was a really good way of growing more food. Yeah. And then, hang on a minute, people were making a lot of money off of nitrogen. Yeah. We also then sort of got into plant breeding. And I think yeah. it was a Mexican guy that, that really took the plant breeding of wheat forward. Or South American guy, if I remember rightly. But it I might was, be wrong. He <laughs> was... It was an American chap from the, the south. Of, it was probably the border of Mexico. Okay. It's a, was it Ball Alg, I think his name no, was? I can't remember. But yeah, okay, was, so um, South South America. Yeah. I uh, know. South of America. S north, south of North America. South, yeah. Yeah. Mesoamerica. Mesoamerica. 
So um, anyway, he, but, he then sort of got onto plant breeding, yeah, and a whole industry was born. Off the back of that, an industry was born. You know, you think of the plant breeders now, the the sort of worldwide domination that they have uh, effectively created for themselves. You know, you talk about these breeding companies; they're huge. Yeah. Um, and off the back of that, then all of a sudden, you know, we saw disease. More yeah. disease came in. Plants were not as uh, resilient, not as robust, not as not as healthy because of the artificial nitrogen that they had, yeah. because of the disconnect that the plants had with the soil, for all those reasons, um, so it's like an another ever, industry was born. So I, a, a little analogy that I use is like, um, you've got a pain in your ass. I've got one sat next to me. Yeah. You've, you've got a pain in your ass, so you go to the doctor and the doctor says, right, okay, here's this tablet, it's... Um, uh, I don't know, uh, some kind of tablet. It's going to stop your ass pain. You go, oh, that's brilliant. Thanks ever so much, doctor. Your ass pain goes away, but all of a sudden you get a, a pain in your knee. You go, oh, right. And the doctor goes, oh, yeah, that's a side side effect of having your ass cured by these tablets. And so you have to take a tablet then for your knee. And then you go back and say, oh, God, I can't stop pissing. I pissed the bed three times this week. And they go, oh, yeah, that's a side effect of your knee medicine. And then you saw like this ever Never ending. And on the back of it, there's this growing industry selling your tablets. And that, that industry doesn't want you to get better. Of course How, it doesn't. But, you know, we, we, I actually spoke about it this week. And oh. agriculture, farmers, they are, or they should be, the health service. That is the health service. Yeah. And then our national health service isn't a health service it's an illness service this is true yeah so it's, farmers, it's no kind of service at all well, at the it moment of a service but farmers you are what you eat farmers are the ones that are providing you the nutrition are you cock then <laughs> i'm sorry do you want me to do you want me to edit that? <laughs> we can edit that bit out okay so it's it's farmers are providing the nutrition for the population and yeah. That's where our, you know, poor choice of food, fast food, takeaways, you know, processed foods um, are contributing to, you know, quite serious health effects. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think we should probably put in a medical disclaimer and say that neither of us are doctors and we have absolutely no proof of this whatsoever. No, I, I, no, I think it's a logic. I, I don't think it's too far of a logical step to take that if you're... If you you're in your yeah, you are crap. If, effectively. if yeah, effectively, if you're ignoring the health of the soil, you're ignoring the health of your crop, and that's what we eat and yeah. what the food that we eat eats. So, there, there, I think there is a logical like construct there that we can use to say that if you look after your soil, in essence, in essence, you're looking after yourself. But we've got this self-perpetuating industry where agronomists can be in the employ of said um, big business um, and then the idea is to perpetuate the reliance on chemistry. Well, you know, so you've just given a talk today to yeah. a room full of independent agronomists. agronomists. No, no such thing. And there isn't. There is no such thing. Every agronomist, but every person has a bias. 
Absolutely. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. And we're not saying that all agronomists are bad, and independent ones are any no, worse no, than an, any no, other agronomist. But I think realistically... It's, it's working with an agronomist that you can trust, you get on with, that challenges yeah. you and you challenge them, and is working for you. And ultimately, agronomists are working for you. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they're not always doing everything in with your best interests at heart because they do have a bias as well. Well, yeah, they want to feed their kids and they want to buy their house. And You know, you we, know, we the... spent time yesterday with a farmer who has an agronomist. It's an in, independent agronomist. And no such thing. The agronomist that they're working with is ultimately trying to prove to the farmer that they're worth the money that they spend on them yes. each year. And as far as they're concerned, the way of proving that is by producing, you know, more yield, yeah. um, you know, ensuring that the gross margins are good, you know, they're also a little bit risk adverse. So, well, look, we can put a bit of a spray on. It doesn't cost much money, but yeah. it almost guarantees that we're not going to get septoria or yellow rust or any of the other diseases. Yeah, chlamydia. Chlamydia, exactly. A big one in wheat. At the yeah, moment. absolutely. Yeah. Um, Agronomists no. got nothing else to do with their time. But... <laughs> Just rub one out. No, this, anyway. This... So, but so for their mind, that the agronomist is trying to prove value to the farmer. Yeah. So it's working through trying to provide some reason because there's so much information out there. They're trying to provide some clarity um, and ultimately return um, some you know monetary value, some financial yeah. benefits. So. They generally do that, and traditionally it's been done with inputs. Yeah. And let's be honest, you've done the basis course, you've done your facts course. It's very much input focused. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, even the people that run and sponsor these courses are the same people that are manufacturing and supplying a lot of these inputs. Yeah, absolutely. So even the independent agronomist, their education has been biased. Yeah. The industry is biased, and as a result we've jumped on the, the treadmill that is generally inputs. Yeah. Um, and it's only now with the you know resurgence, if you will, or the focus on things like regenerative ag, where you can look at integrated pest management as an alternative, or the farm that we were talking about yesterday was on using, a, a, instead of fungicide, he was using a natural product that came all the way from Australia. Diatomaceous earth. Yeah. Yeah. Micronized. So... That's just the nature of the beast. Independent agronomists, any agronomist is only going to be as good as you and how much you challenge them. Yeah. So how many agronomists would say, yeah, no, no, don't put anything on? I, I no, can't think of... Because yeah. the majority of agronomists are paid not necessarily on the service they provide, but the inputs that they supply. Yeah. So if you were, you know... You would really, and you should really, be working with an agronomist on a service basis. Yeah. So you get your agronomy advice from somebody that you know, trust, like, get on with, yeah. think, knows what they're talking about, does a good job. Yeah. And if they were to recommend some products, you should then go and source those products from somewhere else. Well, this is what they do in France. This is the French yeah. system. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said for that. So, so it so means that the, the advice you get given is as unbiased as possible yeah. because the person giving the advice has no financial gain yeah. from supplying or recommending one product over another product yeah. and I 
very conscious that our guest last week was an agronomist supplying inputs. Hi, Tom. Well, they're yeah. not an agronomist. Not. Uh, well, it's, yeah. It's, I think you know it's potato, potato. Um, I, I think. Yeah, we're getting we're getting slightly off. We've sidetracked from the we're, topic, we're, which was nitrogen. Yeah, we're deeply cynical. So, nitrogen. As what a, were you talking about? You've forget about news. What were you talking about? What was the focus of your your conversations that you've had today with with the room full of independent agronomists? What are they seeing? What were you talking about? What's of interest? What are their thoughts? So. Um, I was talking about using foliar nutrition, so foliar nitrogen, um, how to distinguish between the different types of foliar um, products. So that's like Joel Williams, dissolved urea, humix, fulvix, yeah, magic plus, potion, plus snake oil, and manufactured uh, products. Brain dance. <laughs> Hi, Joel. Um, it's yeah, kind of that comes into the argument. That's that's very much almost a DIY approach. Yeah, okay. Um, this was more of a, to be honest, salesman's approach. It was more of a looking at the trials that I've been doing and looking at efficiencies. Okay. And so the real key was not so much about foliar nutrition as um, nutrient use efficiencies and where you can improve um, these efficiencies and reduce inputs. So Yara's own website suggests that their fertilizers are 70% efficient. Would you agree or disagree with that statement? Uh, I really don't want to get sued. Um, I would say they've done their trials and what they've measured and how they define their terms of efficiency, then yes, they probably are doing what they say. <laughs> okay, so you're not going to slander but what uh, anybody I else. What I will say is that there's ways of measuring efficiency. So if you look at, typically, if you're looking at a field of wheat, you've got a harvest at the end of it, and you've put a certain amount of nitrogen on that crop, so, for example, if you're taking off 160 kilograms of nitrogen in the form of protein in the grain, and you put 180 kilograms of nitrogen on that crop, you can see there's been a drop from 180 to 60. You've lost 20 in that system somewhere. So I don't know what the numbers are. So that's, yeah, so that's 20 over 100 years, about a ninth. So just less than 10%. So that would make your efficiency at least 80%. So that would tie in with your 70, 75% efficient. Sorry, I fell asleep there. What were you saying? Oh, it's me that normally does that. So. Numbers. Nitrogen in, nitrogen out. Compare the two, and that gives you your efficiency. So um, Yara, for example, might say that their fertilizers are... 75%. Now that might be true, but you've got to remember there is nitrogen in the soil being mineralized and that is actually going to be part of that grain nitrogen. So if for example you're putting 180 on, you're getting 160 out, but you've got 80 in the soil, that drops your efficient drastically. So instead you're putting 260 in and getting 160 out. 
So whereas you were in the 80%, you're now down in the 50 to 60s. But surely, so I get that, yeah. and I'm, I just want to question that because I don't quite understand it. So I thought that granular fertilizers, synthetic fertilizers, particular sort of salty nitrogen-based fertilizers, yeah. had a detrimental effect on soil biology. They do. So they would reduce microbial activity. Yeah. But you're saying... Despite that, there's still some microbial activity. Right. Can you, what, what's yeah. the so, deal? Right. We've done we've done work with water companies where they've tried to produce, tried to stop manufactured nitrogen getting into watercourses through leaching because they're highly soluble. If you apply lots and lots of a soluble, salty product to the soil at the beginning of a crop's development, so before it actually needs it, you're going to lose nearly half of that before before you've even started so that's gone but what you're doing in in that time is you're putting salts into a living biological microbiological system so you're disrupting a lot of metabolic pathways you're actually disrupting the ability of the microbiome to mineralize nitrogen so it the more nitrogen you put on the more you're going to disrupt it and we've actually seen that in trials where if you've got an untreated area you'll see that you've got you've not put nitrogen onto the soil but you're getting grain that's got nitrogen in it it's got protein so that's come from the soil so if you take that as your baseline amount of nitrogen that's available to go into that grain and then you do a plot or an area that had 200 kilograms of nitrogen put on and measure the grain, it's not going to be 200 plus that amount you've got in the untreated area. It'll be considerably lower. It'll probably be lower than the 200 that you put in as a granular. So what that says is that you're actually stopping the microbes from actually mineralizing nitrogen. You're actually stopping all that free, lovely free nitrogen that's being mineralized from your organic matter, by putting nitrogen on, you're stopping it. Okay, so maybe a stupid question, but if you're stopping the nitrogen from being mineralized by soil biology, yeah. aren't you just saving it for another day? Well, this is, yeah, so this is the, the swings around that. So if you reduce your nitrogen inputs, if you reduce your nitrogen that you're putting on as a granular form, yeah. it means your microbiology is going to work better, okay. which means it's going to mineralize more nitrogen. So what you're actually going to get is you're still going to get leaching of nitrogen and nitrates from that field. So it's, it's almost like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Hmm. So by making the soil healthier it's going to produce more nitrogen which will then leach away if there's no plant roots there to collect it so that's where you throw in a cover crop post-harvest where you throw in a cover crop post-harvest sweep up that nitrogen absolutely the soil after harvest generally soil is still warm it's still active there's usually a bit of moisture coming as you go into you know like the, the autumn the soil is still warm soils are mineralizing they're producing because you've not put not granular nitrogen on so much you're producing a lot of soil mineral nitrogen and so you're going to get leaching so it's the idea is not also the idea is not just to with withdraw the amount of nitrogen you're putting on the crop you've got to account for the fact that 
there's always going to be nitrogen being produced in your soil if it's healthy. And so a cover crop is, is ideal for soaking it up and then going back as an organic nitrogen into the... I've heard once before, a couple of times before, that nowhere in nature is there a deficiency in nitrogen. So nature isn't deficient in nitrogen. Yet when you look at some of these crops and you do the sap analysis, so we've got this end yeah. tester in, in the UK that we use a lot. Yeah. Um, adding additional nitrogen seems to be the solution. You speak to most agronomists, it's well, 250 kilograms of nitrogen will solve all of your problems. Yeah, just a cheeky 50 kilos just to perk it up. And yeah. So where are we going wrong? Is that a lack of understanding? Is that a lack of you know clarity or just misinformation? I think it's from the fact that farmers no longer produce food, they produce a raw product for processing. So what they're doing is they're actually producing wheat, but that wheat will go into, okay, it might go to bread, it might go into, well, we heard yesterday, it might go into an incinerator to create energy. Yeah, it's, ridiculous. It's, you know, potatoes, you don't buy as many potatoes to eat as potatoes. You'll buy mash, chips, crisps. You know, there's lots of different... So it's not when a farmer had fields with loads, you know, loads of veg, uh, a, a bit of wheat and barley. It, the whole thing is it's now an industrialised process. So what we're doing is we're pushing for yield. We want... We want high-yielding, easily processable raw materials, not nutrient-dense, resilient crops. And so the, because the big push has been on for processing and in the industrialising of agriculture, that's why we're in the situation where we're, we're moving away from soil health and we're just injecting nutrients into plants willy-nilly. But was it you say that... 15 plants make feed 90% of the world's population. No, there's, there's a statistic, and I can't remember the exact detail to the percentage. So globally, so the whole planet, 75 to 80% of the diet globally is met by 17 species. 17 species. So that's five animal species and 12 plant species. Now that is not a diverse diet. If you think about it, where does your food come from? You've got five animals, 12 plants. And that is the bulk of what the, what humanity eats. And, you know, we're, we're getting to the situation where we're not eating healthily and we're having the health crisis as a result. So people aren't eating the fruits and the, the fruit you buy might be in a jam or it might be in a sugar syrup or a... It's, we're not so eating no, no purple sprouting broccoli and well there's plenty of cauliflower <laughs> but yeah that's that's the idea but you know when you look at the in at the industrial scale for example wheat we're pushing wheat we're pushing yields for wheat and what makes the yield in wheat is starch now the nutrients within that grain so all the trace elements or the, the micronutrients all that sort of thing are going to be roughly about the same amount for that wheat plant to function 
we've pushed the, pushed the genetic potential for that wheat plant to create starch. And it's the starch that we're yielding. So any wheat, etc., that's being used to make bread, the nutrients, the micronutrients, the, all the vitamins and that, are by, as a result, they're diluted. So you're getting the same amount of vitamins and minerals, but much more starch. So you're thinning out all the good stuff for all this stuff which is good for processing and can make money. So actually an increase in yield doesn't mean an increase in nutrients. No. As in like nutrient density. Absolutely not. Because you know you hear people say, well a carrot now or an apple now is, is not as good for you. It doesn't contain the, the nutrients yeah. that it once did you know, a generation ago. Yeah. And that is, that's being driven by the need for food to manufacture and to process. Yeah. And ultimately then the way in which we're feeding the crops with synthetic fertilisers yeah. ultimately is, is part a, of the problem. There's a statistic that approximately 75% of the nitrogen that makes your body up is from synthetic fertilisers. So basically we are we are what we eat and we are becoming synthetic fertilizer. Giant piece of ammonium nitrate. Or sulfate urea. or urea, yeah. But the nitrogen the nitrogen atoms that make us up yeah. are derived largely from the food we eat and that is and the nitrogen in the food is largely derived from synthetic fertilizers. So there's lots of different sources of nitrogen. Yes. What would be your top five sources of nitrogen? What would be your number one? And what that I'd prefer, the, or is yeah. actually realistic? Well, no. Uh, if, you were, actually if, being you were, used. if you were farming, not that's being used. What would yeah. you, as an independent agronomist, imagine you're an independent agronomist, like an yeah. actual, genuine, independent agronomist? You're labouring that a bit too yeah. much, but yeah, I got you. What would you recommend? That farmers use if to I had, grow their crops. If I had carte blanche, yeah, I would say use um, organic manures, yeah, as a nitrogen source. Right so that's, answer. Yeah, well, of course it is. Yeah, um, and to build canopy, you, if you want to be productive, if you want to cook, if you want to farm for human health, human production, and diverse crops go along the organic um, manures, um, the organic nitrogens, use a little bit of foliar nitrogens to apply the nitrogen later on when the canopy is actively growing and it might have run out of steam a little so bit. What, what form of nitrogen is that? So if we're, if we're classing number one is organic nitrogen. Yeah. Number, is it just foliar? What is, is that, what is it, what form of nitrogen is that foliar? nitrogen coming in? I would say urea based would be better than ammonium or um, you know or nitrate based. Okay. So and number would, two would be urea based foliar fertilizers? Yes yeah or if you have to use a soil applied I would say you a urea um, fertilizer applied to the soil rather than ammonium nitrate and the reason I say that is there's carbon in urea 
Yeah. Essentially, it's an organic molecule. I mean, when you pee, there's urea in your pee. It's yeah, the definition of organic yeah. in science and chemistry is very different from, from what yeah. we classify as organic but, in agriculture. But what I'm, yeah, I understand yeah. that, but what I'm saying is that's a more... Soil-friendly, Soil-friendly, plant-friendly product than ammonium nitrate. Okay, so organic manures, yeah. foliourea, yeah. So Number no, three. okay, right. I'm going to say, yeah. organic manures, uh, foliar urea-based products. Yeah. Then I'd say granular ureas. I know there's a little bit of a, but some of the urea-based foliars could be polymers. Okay. So you get methanol polymers and things like that. After the granular urea, I would say something like calcified ammonium nitrate. So, um, you know, it's protected a little bit. You've got a little bit of calcium there. And I think ammonium nitrate would be at the bottom. So what about it's, something like, and I reckon you've probably forgotten this, what yeah. about something like a fish hydrolysate? Or amino acids? Well, I could have said, I've covered that by saying organic. You're passing um, that as a potentially in the organic? No, I've forgotten it. There's, there's loads of wizards piss out there. So fish hydrolysate is essentially the, what you do by hydrolyzing is you break apart proteins into amino acids. So what you're doing is you're, for, you're feeding with nitrogen in the form of an amino acid. Now, when that's in the soil, it has to go through processes to sort of like break down and be converted into form. So essentially nitrate or ammonium, which can go up through the plant root. If you're applying it as a foliar, then you're probably better off. It's, it's going to enter the, the metabolic system a lot easier if it's being applied foliar. But it's, it's a bit wizard's piss. It's such a variable product. Um, it's good if you've got a, a shit ton of fish and you just think, yeah, do you know what, I'm going to use it. Yeah, use it. It's better to use it than just throw it away because it's a resource. But I think globally, the amount of fish hydrolysate that's going to be on farm is... So let's throw that possible. into them with the organic forms of yeah, nitrogen. Yeah, yeah, please. Fine. Yeah. Well, there's your top five. Yeah. That's Do you think the plant and the soils would be happy with that top five? I think as you go down the list, they're less and less happy. Yeah, okay. That's so okay. If, you, if you stayed with your organic manures, your organic N, and your foliar urea-based ends. I think that's the happiest part. And then as you drift into needing quicker forms or, you know, a quick hit, or you just don't care about your soil, then, yeah, drift so on you, down. if you were to apply organic manures or have good, good levels of, of organic manure, organic matter in your soil. Yeah. With the soil biology able to mineralize a lot of those nutrients, you know, quite quickly and, and routinely and regularly. Um, that would be a good start. And then if you were to top up with a foliar fertilizer, foliar urea based fertilizer, yeah. Yeah. you would be a long way towards achieving a commercial yield. Right, if, if you're using, currently, if you're using levels of ammonium nitrate, urea, whatever, granular synthesized nitrogen, and you suddenly took it away, 
you're you're going to have a dip in productivity. Your your soil microbiology. You know more about this than I do, but your microbiology is going to be a bit lackluster, a bit sort of like it's been kicked in the teeth and just put in a dark cupboard for a few years. You, yeah. you can't expect it to then step up and all of a sudden be turned into Superman and turn around nitrogen. So you've got to ease yourself off. Using the organic nitrogen is not a quick hit. That's You'll get a certain amount in the first year and then it'll play out over the years. So if you keep topping it up, you're going to be building up your organic matter, you're going to build up your microbiology, you're going to build up the mineralization and you'll reach an equilibrium. And it will be the yield potential of that field. Now, if you're in a high productive industrial system, then yes, that might not be enough of a living for you. If you're in nutrient dense, small holding where you're selling to your local community, I'm sure they'd be a lot happier and a lot healthier. So it's it's a decision. It's sustainability is about economics as much as it is about biology and chemistry and plant physiology. So I'm I'm not oblivious to the fact that yeah it's all right to live in this dream world where I've got me four alpacas I'm knitting me tofu wandering around in my socks and sandals and me linen smock it's, it, life's not like that but there's got to be an in-between there's got to be a point where we can say look come on we can do this better so we've got in the UK you've got conventional arable farming cropping um, and all of the markets that you can then obviously supply your grains into yeah then you've obviously got the organic market which is using no synthetic nitrogen at all yeah. are you saying that somewhere in the middle where you can use utilize organic manures you know adopt more of a mixed farming enterprise or straw from up deals yeah use a little bit of organic manures organic matter maybe some organic fish or something yeah. you know something along yeah, yeah. those lines just to, just to top it up with a little bit of, of synthetic fertilizer just to, to really increase yeah you know, take the edge a off. bit of a bang yeah. a bit more bang for your buck isn't that what wild farm are doing I guess so and yeah. Andy Cato yeah. so Andy Cato for anybody who doesn't know is Groove Armada ex frontman or God member knows. general um, so he's, he's bringing out this wild farm and I actually saw it on Tuesday when we were in um, Gloucester Services driving north. They are selling wild farmed pasta. Of course they are. Well, it's Gloucester Services, Gloucester aren't it? Gloucester Services, exactly. Anything that's a premium product they're selling yeah, yeah. Uh, with an inflated markup. Yeah. But that is, I would say, somewhere in between where they've taken that regenerative... Um, word term buzzword yeah um, and they're using it as a marketing tool yeah but they've sort of landed somewhere in the middle in regards to it's not organic it's not conventional they're farmer focused rather or farm focused rather than supermarkets imposing these lofty ideals of carbon sequestration etc and low inputs the, the supermarkets don't give a flying toss about the farmer as long as they're getting product, yeah. they, you know, they, they they don't care. They just want it cheap, and then all of a sudden they move the goalposts and say, "I want it cheap, but you've got to have used less nitrogen, and your carbon footprint's got to be this." It's a rigged game that you can't win as a farmer in well, that we system. Didn't, it was over Christmas. We ran out of tomatoes in the supermarkets. 
and yeah. the supermarkets blamed farmers but the reality was the supermarkets didn't want to pay yeah. the price that the farmers had set them yeah. so instead of paying more or charging more for the tomatoes yeah. they just decided not to take them exactly it's a rigged game absolutely shafted so really what we're saying is obviously we've digressed and we've spoken about a little bit but actually if you can find a local farmer that's growing or producing food to a standard that you can agree with i.e you know wild farmed yeah um maybe actually and this isn't a plug for wild farm because i yeah. don't really know all their uh, but it's marketing it comes back well, it again does come to, back marketing. to marketing but if you can find a local farmer that's growing to a standard that you're happy with yeah then surely you should be buying produce direct from the farm 100%. as opposed to through supermarkets and shops and Gloucester services and but then others that, of that ilk. But that means there's more townies out in the countryside and do we really want that? Well, we've been taking their money for a long time <laughs> in regards to farm subsidies, so I think it's only right that they see what their money's Have you been, been talking spent to, on. You've been talking to Ben Taylor Davis, haven't you? Get on my Look, land. I'm aware that we're coming up for, we've been talking in an hour. And this is going to be a quick... This was going to be a, yeah. So we should sort of wrap it up. We've spoken about that. Look, I don't feel you've spoken about organic. How, how just before we stop, how can you make the most of your muck then? What's the best thing to do? Just let it rot down or? The best fertilizer comes out of a bum, not a bag. Nice buzzwords there for you. So, you know, cattle, um, you know, Gabe Brown, coming back to Gabe Brown, the hero and the pinup boy of Regen yeah, yeah. We are gay boys. Gay boys. Um, <laughs> just that was so wrong. It does. Is is the integration of livestock? Yeah. The the you know you talk about biostimulants and, and we did a little bit of an episode and we've probably not covered it fully, but that was a shit episode. The best biostimulant you can apply onto your ground is fresh cow manure. Yeah. Because of the microorganisms within the rumen. Yeah. Um, you All know, the you metabolic. You think about the and, function yeah. of the rumen which is, you know, microbes break down complex organic structures into their constituent parts to drive yield. Yeah. That is exactly the same function as what's happening in the soil. Soil microbes breaking down complex organic structures into their constituent parts to drive yield. Yeah. So anything that you can do to um, help that microbiology, the micro, you know, the living organisms within the soil, the better, and that means feeding them with carbon. Now, I'm not talking about biochar because biochar doesn't feed anyone or anything. Um, that's looking at more and trying to improve structure. So that's not available carbon then? It? It's, it's, you put biochar in the ground today and oh, the research is, is uh, split in regards to whether biochar is a benefit or a negative when you, you come to applying it. Yeah. So I'm a little bit on the fence. I generally feel that applying a high carbon material to the soil does nothing other than improve structure. Yeah. I don't think it has a positive effect on on the biology or the living organisms within the soil at all. Yeah. Um, but it will no doubt improve soil structure. Okay. So porosity, water infiltration yeah. rate, all of those things, structure. So there is a place components. for it. There's a place for it, but it's not feeding biology. It's yeah. not helping with you know, nutrient cycling yeah, yeah. Or, or any of that. So you want a higher, more active carbon, an active, um, like, energy intense. So something like fresh organic manures, something like bokashi, um, even vermicompost 
would provide far more nutrients, sort of readily available yeah. nutrients, plant available nutrients um, and energy to ultimately feed the biology. What about sugar? I mean, you can put molasses on the soil and the microbes are going to go absolutely crazy. But you were just talking about the biology within the soil becoming addicted to ammonium nitrate. Yeah. You know, our kids are addicted to sugary drinks. Yeah. Um, I don't know we necessarily want to get the soil addicted to sugar and no. waiting for that next sugar hit. So yeah. I, I wouldn't use molasses at all, but, you know, cover crops, growing living roots, root exudates, yeah. livestock, manures, um, and then organic manures, you know, delaningums. Uh, compost you know not huge amounts of readily available nutrients or energy for the soil um, but fresh farmyard manure bokashi vermicasts vermicomposting those things would provide more bang for your buck and you'd see more of an instant response especially in regards to feeding biology cool right it's weird isn't it just wrapping up that we're talking about nitrogen and it's the most abundant element in air but 70, it's 70 odd percent but it's so stable it needs so much energy to split it pulses legumes legumes yeah so there you go just a little bit a little bit the, of free information the, at the end I just can't be <laughs> fucked to talk about it anymore so legumes legumes the yeah. answer is legumes the answer, yeah get some legumes in your lays there you go that's it. Yeah, fuck it. Don't buy anything. Just buy your legumes. So you've got to buy legumes. Yeah, I suppose. Anyway, my throat is raw for nattering. So we're going to say goodbye. If you've got any questions, get in touch over Twitter or leave some comments on Spotify if you get to us through Spotify. Instagram, yeah. It's we did have one nice message. We did. Oh, yeah. A really nice message. It was. Um, heads up to... You that know who you person. are. Yeah. <laughs> that was really nice. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for that. That was some good feedback. Um, yeah, anyway, we're wittering. Um, we'll see you soon. Bye. Have a good one. Bye.